Welcome to the OME Talks Podcast. I'm your host, David Petro. This is our last bonus episode of the year, and in it, we'll hear once again from each of our guests from the past season. During the season, we asked them to tell us what they've learned or did while working online that they will continue to do while moving forward to more face-to-face interactions. Some of them talked about similar things to each other, while others had their own take on what they'll be continuing to do. We're going to start with Alita Klassen and Caroline Gingrich as they spoke to us in November about using portfolios in grade 9, and now they're going to tell us what they're going to keep doing as we move to more face-to-face. And we're going to start with Caroline. Uh, One thing that I learned last year that I am keeping is using less paper and using online manipulatives, lots of digital tools that I discovered during the pandemic, during teaching online, because we didn't have other options, and that I found are really cool and exciting, like Mathagon. A big thing that both Carolyn and I are keeping from our practice online is our use of learning logs and portfolios as evaluation and evidence collection tools. But a classroom strategy that we used that I'm still using today, or we're both using today, even though we're all in person, is we kind of create a record of what happened in the class live as it's happening. And kids have editing access to our slideshows. And we use it as like a collaborative surface. I have kids like take pictures of all of their vertical surfaces. So we have a record and they can easily grab evidence from that if they want to put it in their learning log. I think in my classroom, I treat student thinking as like precious and we want to capture it all. Um, so I, I don't know if they can, they gather that message, but um, yeah, these collaborative slides are kind of a space for us to always everybody can contribute to the meaning that we create in our class. Yeah. Oh, and the other thing, (laughs) I'm going to think of all kinds of things. (laughs) On our collaborative slides, we started doing, because students were online and joining us from home, we had like a little morning check-in where it was, how are you doing today? Or they would answer a question or they would um, choose their favorite chocolate bar off of a slide or something. And we've kept that uh, in the classes as a, yeah, just kind of a little get to know you thing, but every day, which is not something before this that I ever really considered doing in math class. Yeah, I know a lot of teachers use like attendance questions and we were finding that attendance questions made students who were more introverted or less keen to speak, especially right away. They had an in because they could silently indicate their choice. And then you could address a student right on, right in the morning about like why they chose what they chose. And uh, it was just a really good way of getting like a class census on something or a fun activity to get a sense of who was in the room. That was Alita Klassen and Carolyn Gingrich talking about learning logs, digital records, morning check-ins, and online tools. 
Next up, we'll have another pair of speakers, Lisa Rossitor Thornton and Ann Prevost, who we heard from last month where they talked about financial literacy. Now let's hear about what they're going to be using while face-to-face, and we'll start with Lisa. So essentially, for me, it's digital math manipulatives. So where you don't have enough on hand and you have them in person, and if you have, you can kind of do a half-and-half situation where you have enough digital maybe computers, iPads, or what have you to use digital manipulatives. And then you have your physical manipulatives that you can use as well. So definitely found that that's been a shift from the pandemic. Uh, I guess, you know, that's been something new that's been in really uh, take forward sort of thing from online to virtual or in-person learning. Online learning seems to have reinforced the need to co-create models with students and to provide visuals. The great thing with Google Classroom is that those models and visuals are saved so students can go back to reference them. Uh, It's so easy to forget how important these are when learning face-to-face. So programs such as Jamboard, Google Slides, Google Draw can all be used in class to ensure the visuals will be saved to be used at a later date. It can also be as simple as taking a picture of learning done face-to-face and uploading it to a Google Classroom. I think just that online space that saves the learning for students to reference and to know that it is their learning that's represented is so valuable and important and really applicable and easy to do from grades one to eight. That was Ann Prevost and Lisa Rossiter Thornton, both talking about online digital tools they will be using as we go face to face. Up next, Heather Teismeyer and Richard Duffy who spoke about the ideas for teaching integers in January, are going to tell us what they will be continuing to use. So I I kind of misinterpreted the question when I was looking at it. And I I was thinking about, uh, you know, about the barriers that we faced, you know, online that that you wouldn't normally face in a, a, you know, a face-to-face setting. And one of the things that we learned, one of the things that was abundantly clear was that everything takes a bit longer um, in an online setting. And so for me, it was teachers feel real pressure to cover expectations, right? To cover curriculum. And when things are taking longer, sometimes there's a, sometimes there's a, an urge to, you know, to just teach procedurally because we can get the kids there faster. We can test them out quickly and, you know, the, the ends kind of justify the means that the, the kids learned it. But there was a real emphasis, you know, in the teachers that I worked with on how we can continue to build understanding of concept and, you know, build procedures out of that understanding, right? So tools, tools that, that supported that building of understanding of concepts. So things like Mathagon's Polypad, um, you know, virtual manipulatives, um, that especially with the death of Flash, I mean, Mathies uh, was was kind of a go-to for a lot of teachers, and then when Flash went went the way of the dinosaur, um, it uh, it it created a need, right? So so Polypad is certainly something we use. Even even the digital tools that facilitated some of that collaboration among students, those are things that I, I carry with me and I, and I talk with teachers a lot about. How can we ensure, I mean, in a face-to-face setting, we've spent so much time really trying to, uh, 
to build in opportunities for accountable talk, to allow uh, kids to collaborate with one another, to, you know, use those tools that allowed some of that reinforcing of concept. Now that we're back face to face, we need to continue that work, right? We need to continue that work. And, uh, and, and that's sort of what the online uh, remote instruction kind of taught me. For me, this, this was actually a hard question to answer because my role at a board level shifted significantly as we pivoted to, to remote learning and the couple times that we did <laughs> back and forth. And it really became one of um, responsiveness to, to teachers' needs. And I was in a position where teachers could reach out about almost anything. It could be a tech question. It could be a math question. It could be about student support. It could be about uh, new curriculum because the new curriculum had come in for elementary at that point. And so really, I was just trying to support teachers right in the moment, right where they were with whatever it was they needed. But on the teacher's end as well, they were learning to also be responsive and be flexible to their students' needs, which were very different online than they were in the classroom as well. So I think for me coming forward, it's really about keeping that flexibility and that responsiveness uh, in my back pocket, as it were, just to to really respond to where teachers are at, where students are at in terms of uh, both learning needs and support required uh, moving forward. And and I mean, you don't want to take it for granted, but when when everything was normal back prior to 2020, I'm sure most teachers and most educators had their their expectations for pace and their expectations for which assessments they're going to do in which course. They'd become very used to uh, a status quo and remote learning blew all of that up. Um, but it's a very good reminder, I think, that that we should always be responsive to the needs of our students and always be flexible in terms of what they need and how we can help them support those goals. That was Heather Teismeyer and Richard Duffy talking about using digital tools and leveraging virtual connections to stay and be responsive to both teachers and student needs. Now we'll hear from Lisa Ann Floyd and Ruthie Sloan. We heard Ruthie talk to us in February about the importance of play and Lisa in October about coding and math. And here they'll also do some talking about staying flexible and using connections. So let's start with Lisa. What I noticed when I was teaching online is that the best thing we could do is is not try to make everything super fancy. <laughs> when I tried to, to to use, you know, so many different apps and and things like that, it it I think it takes away from what we're really trying to teach. And so I realized that I needed to take a step back and and take more time to connect with students individually. So what was really great about teaching online is I could meet with them individually in separate rooms while I had my main room going and I really got to know the the students and and what they wanted to how they wanted to learn and what they wanted to to do in my course so I think just taking the time to get to know the students one-on-one is what I I feel like I got to do more by teaching online so I will figure out a way to get more of those one-on-one conversations whether it means connecting with a school board learning coordinator to come on in if I'm teaching um, on site and then having that time with the students. Um, but I also think being flexible is something that I feel like I've always done as an educator, um, but I was even more flexible and I felt like even more welcoming, you know, when students would come in late and 
it really seemed to to make a difference. So just not to worry whether I'd finish something or complete everything that I wanted to do that day, just to be as flexible as possible. And and once I gave myself permission <laughs> to do that, it just became more enjoyable. And I think for the students as well. I think for me, the thing that I think I've learned the most from teaching online is that, again, diversity is huge. I think relationships have really been at the heart and core of everything. But I think that understanding who my students are and having access to my parents have been huge because I think that remotely we only get so much access to what we're seeing. And I think a lot of teachers get really anxious and don't necessarily, they don't, they get anxious and they keep families and parents and people in the home at an arm's length. Um, They don't want to be seen on a camera. They don't want to like parents to see them on camera. They don't, you know, want to engage, but it's been my lifeline. My parents are like TAs in the room. (laughs) They are the people that are sitting there with the students trying to figure out how to help them learn. And I think what I've learned the most and that I want to take back with me is uh, that understanding that uh, flexibility is huge. My parents, if they said, you know, it's not working and you'd sit with them and talk with them for like five minutes and it was something as silly as like the resource that they had or the manipulative that they had, there wasn't enough of them. They're like, there wasn't enough patterning blocks or, you know, um, they were trying to do something with, one of the really interesting ones was they were looking at something spatially from the top down and all they needed to do was to put it on the wall (laughs) because their perspective to step back and look at it changed totally. Right. But hearing and thinking about kind of that understanding of, uh, you know, getting parents involved and taking a breath and stopping things instead of just plowing through them was huge for me because it's a different pace. Teaching online is a way different pace than it is um, in the classroom. Some would say it's way slower. I think I would argue with math, it went a lot faster, but it took a lot of time at the beginning to understand how my kids were learning. Once I could figure that out, translating was easy. Once we, It was literally like once we learned how to talk to each other, we were golden. <laughs> but yeah, I think the last thing that I've learned, like one other, this is maybe my part two, 2.0 part, is um, a lot of teachers, and me too, I started with this understanding that I would make all these slide decks and there would be all of these wonderful manipulatives online for my kids to use and there'd be hyperlinked and stuff like that. I stepped back after the first four weeks and said no. And my lessons all were on the floor. (laughs) This sounds really silly, really rudimentary, but they were on the floor with an iPad document camera style and me literally manipulating things and then getting kids to ask questions but they like I would also send the resources to my kids so they had them in front of them too but I would be modeling what they were saying physically in real time and slowing that down it's like instead of speeding it up by giving them like app versions or website versions of it right really made me uh, think more about what they were visualizing and what they were saying and slowed that whole process down so it wasn't just button pushing. So I had a deeper understanding of what they were thinking and what they could communicate and being able to separate those two. I think in class, there's a lot of time, and this also hit me like like a brick wall, was 
So a lot of times my grade one and two students, especially when I was their math coach, I noticed that they would always be sitting on the carpet or sitting in their chair. And you never, you thought that they didn't understand a concept. You thought that you hadn't taught something that things just, they were behind. When I put them online and they were in my class, some of these students excelled exponentially. And it wasn't the technology. It was the idea that um, they weren't overwhelmed by a body of people, (laughs) but they could have time to express their thinking um, and just, you know, you do it in a way in an, in an environment that they were more comfortable with. So, I mean, a lot of these things that I've taken away from teaching online is that, like, environment is huge. Having communication and being able to communicate with your students is, like, pivotal. But also the time that you spend in the beginning to figure out that language and how to communicate, like, really speeds up things. Like, you think you're wasting time. But it really speeds up things later in your uh, teaching and learning because you've got a common language between the two of you. Um, and really for assessment as well. Like we were with their parents, the time that I spent even having chats about successes and failures and what was like kind of a barrier in the way really had you had, you know, you had a, a partner that you were te- team teaching with. They were there to support the child because they understood what the child was learning. They saw the lesson, they had access to it. So Going back, I think a lot of what I would do in a classroom as well is like that transparency with my parents. I, when you have parents that are 100% on board with their kids and know what their kids are learning, like mountains move. Like it is magnificent. You're not fighting a battle. You're not having to translate. You're not having to do all these things that I think that we put anxiety and like a lot of thought time into defending. Whereas when you have somebody that's working with you, it's twice as fast. So, I mean, a lot of that is how am I going to, like, keep that going back to the classroom? Like, how am I going to keep those relationships alive? Because, like, again, as I said, it wasn't just the time that the kids were online. It was what they did outside of our class time, which was actually, like, learning to another degree. Like, I had kids build snow snow families and snow communities because we had a lesson on who could build the biggest snowball in an hour. And like, they just continued it with their family and they got other people on board and the the challenge just went crazy. But, you know, when you get people and learners on board, it's not just one learner you get, it's a community of people, everyone that they come into contact with. And then learning goes on steroids. (laughs) That was Ruthie Sloan and Lisa Ann Floyd talking about the importance of flexibility. Next up, we'll hear from Jason Toe and Kathy Shapu. We started the season off with Jason and his discussion about de-streaming, and we heard from Kathy in December where she talked about assessment. I think for me, as, as someone that works with adults, that you know this has provided people with an avenue to learn in a way that they hadn't before. I think you know when when we're reliant on release time uh, to uh, you know and having to travel to learn something for educators to be able to just go on uh, like a like a zoom platform or what have you and, and take part in some learning i think we have to be very deliberate in all these different ways that we can start to engage people in as they're learning so you know we're going to continue with the virtual stuff but when does it make sense to go face to face you know like uh, leveraging the best of all of these new ways of engaging people i think that's going to be the work ahead for for me and you know and any kind of professional learning facilitator. But, you know, I, I think 
the way that teachers have been really leveraging technology to illustrate math concepts is, a, you know, is something that I've seen kind of explode. So, you know, before when we were doing, uh, you know, things statically, you know, when, when math is so dynamic to now have so many more people on platforms like Desmos and GeoGebra to show how things change in relation to one another. Like, I think that, you know, we really need to continue that momentum of, of leveraging technology to not just show math and math concepts, but to do the math as well. I know a lot of our teachers were, you know, they just had to realize that technology is at the fingertips of all of their students whenever they're showing any kind of math during a remote setting. So, I think that we have to be cognizant that technology isn't going away. It's it's continuing to grow and we need to evolve to, you know, really figure out how do we really get a, an idea of what students are thinking while they have all these technology tools in front of them. Like, are we going to try to hold back the technology or do we use it to help students to uncover something that, you know, that's going on in their head? So I think those are some of the lessons that I think we're going to need to continue to learn and grow so that teachers everywhere are comfortable with augmented learning through technology for our students. So one of the things that I think we all, you know, needed to do over the course of remote learning was to offer professional learning outside of school time online. And now that classes are back face to face and some professional learning is unfortunately we're not at this point doing our professional learning face to face yet but I know some boards are but one of the things that I didn't one, one of the sort of unanticipated pleasant surprises of remote learning was that um I'd been doing I usually offer two math book clubs a year so they're an after school math book club that you know people attend it's usually two or three sessions we pick a book and the, the participants receive the book and an opportunity to be together with colleagues and chat. And it was always face to face. Now, our board isn't massive geographically, but it, we did try to sort of move the location around so that everyone wasn't always having to, you know, go quite as far. But but basically, almost everyone except the teachers at the school that we were at had had to travel to get there. So we would, I mean, that, that meant the timing had to be a little different. We usually would start at 4.15 and, uh, and, and as I said, people would have to travel. So one of the things that we were doing last year with remote learning is we would do our book clubs online. And I wasn't really sure initially how that was going to go, partly because initially the platform that we were using, we didn't have breakout rooms availability. So it, Part of what I love about a book, a math book club, is that opportunity for people to chat with other people and have conversations and maybe maybe in grade level groups or maybe, you know, divisionally, that kind of thing. But just to be with other teachers, I think, is always so affirming and the best way to learn. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, we started, we did some after school online book clubs and they actually went really, really well. And so... One of the benefits is that it does allow us to start a little bit earlier after school ends because we don't have to wait for people to move from point A to point B. But also, especially with the evolution of the platforms that we use now, you know, we are still able to have those smaller group conversations 
and and sort of you know be whole group but also break out and then come back again and share so that I do miss seeing people's faces and that's both virtually and in person because I find that that at this point I think we're still a little bit um you know because of the experience that we've had with remote learning I think we we're, we're still not loving having our cameras on all the time but I'm hoping that as people are more used to being face-to-face that people might become more willing to have their cameras on at book clubs because that is the one thing that I do miss is actually seeing people's faces but I know they're there and um and we have we do have great conversations and it's and it's a great opportunity to learn so that's one thing that we're going to continue that was Kathy Chaput talking about math book clubs and Jason Toe, who will also continue to use digital dynamic math tools now that we're more face-to-face. So that does it for this season of the OME Talks podcast. Stay tuned for next season, starting in the fall, where we will have speakers who will be at the upcoming OME 2022 virtual conference in May. We'll also probably have at least one more Coding in the Classroom episode between now and then. So stay tuned for that, and in the meantime, stay safe.